The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Sports Talk New York right here on 1240 AM WGBB. Today is Sunday, July 30th. The Tresman, Mike Trezor with you, along with Chris Caputo. We've got a great show for you tonight. So much to get to in New York sports. Training camp's now open. We're going to talk some football with our guests, who we'll bring on in just a minute. We've got some Major League Baseball trade deadline stuff we'll get to in the second half. Before we do any of that, let me say hi to my co-host, the man we call Cap, Chris Caputo. Hey, Mike, how's everything going? Appreciate you having me in. It's going great, man. Chris is filling in for our buddy Mike Adone, who's vacationing. Uh, We're glad to have him on. Obviously, some big Met news, Chris, we'll get to in the second half. Should be a fun show. Yeah, absolutely. But right now, we want to start off the show by introducing you folks to our great guest. He's with us right now. He played for the Giants from 1992 to 94 out of Notre Dame. Uh, went to the Jaguars, the Raiders, and then for a spell with the Cardinals to finish up. Derek Brown, he joins us now. Derek, Mike, and Chris, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for being our guest. So talk to me about when you first got drafted by the Giants, 92. You were kind of coming in at the end of Ray Hanley and right at the beginning of Dan Reeves, I guess, right? Yes, yeah. It was uh, definitely was Ray's last year uh, that he was the head coach, and then my second and third year was Dan's first two years there. Can you compare and contrast the two uh, for us, Derek? Yeah, um, you know, a little bit. Obviously, coming in as a rookie, you know, I, I had no previous experience, right, of uh, being at the pro ranks. Um, but what I could tell, uh, it was just a little bit, little lot, a lot less chaos. Let's put it that way. You know, uh, there's no big secret. There was issues in the locker room uh, with Coach uh, with Coach Hanley with Ray there, and uh, when when Dan came in there. Things kind of changed a little bit. You know, there was a little bit of uh, shuffling around. Uh, you know, as some people may say, uh, the Giants became uh, Denver East, yeah. if you will, with uh, a lot of Dan's players or a few of his players that came along with him from uh, from Denver and him letting go of uh, a lot of old uh, Giants staple players uh, upon his arrival. Hey, Derek, this is Chris here. Um, I just wanted to ask you, um, transitioning from college to pro, is that special teams and, and uh, you know, getting a little bit of time as a tight end different from what you experience in college at, at Notre Dame? And how do you adjust to a different role at the NFL level? Yeah, you know what? It was kind of, it was a little bit different. I mean, I'm not going to lie, it wasn't as difficult, uh, especially coming to the, the NFL from from Notre Dame during those during that time because of all the uh, NFL play, uh, quality players that we had when when I was there. Uh, one, you know, I say the, the major difference. I mean, obviously the biggest difference is just the sheer speed of everybody 
from top to bottom. Um, I, you know, I will never forget watching film and we're sitting there watching pregame, or not pregame, preseason film. You know, that's one speed. And then I remember we had our last preseason game, and then we started preparing for the opening day. And I, honest to God, I thought somebody sped the film up. <laughs> and that's when I realized there's a whole nother level for every single level uh, during the season. And that's, you know, the vet said, listen, you know, uh, preseason's one speed. Regular season's another speed. Monday night is a different speed. And then getting into the playoffs is another speed. And then finally getting to the Super Bowl is a whole nother uh, switch as well. And uh, that was like the biggest I would say the biggest thing is that, and uh, obviously the sure size and speed of everybody. You know, un- unlike in college, right, you catch a ball or you're running the ball, yeah, you, you know, you might have one, two, three guys tackle you. I mean, obviously a running play, you got, you know, some team tackling. But in the pros, you catch a ball, you're going downfield, and there are people flying just missing you uh, as you're like two inches above the ground. So, uh, you know, you might get a nose tackle that's trying to get a piece of you uh, downfield. Uh, that, that's the biggest difference there, man. These guys, you know, especially back then, you know, I, I feel that these days, I, I hate to be that guy, you know, back in my day, but <laughs> honestly, back in my day, uh, it was a lot, I, I feel like it was a much older league um, where you had, you know, salty old-ass men uh, <laughs> back in the day as opposed to, to now. When you have, you know, you're considered a veteran at three years and four years. Man, I, I know thousand yard rushers, you know, that rushed for a thousand yards their first three years in the league were still called rookie, you know. So it's that, that that's a little bit of a difference, I think. And you know, it's funny, Derek. Um, you got to be, you know, sort of behind the guy who was the only guy, as far as I know, to be on that 1990 championship game and then go to the Super Bowl with the Giants again in 2000. And that, of course, is a guy I got to meet and work with a couple times later on, Howard Cross. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about how uh, Howard helped you come into the league? And um... Oh, absolutely. Uh, Howard was a big brother to me. Um, he definitely uh, took me underneath his wing. Uh, you know, taught me. I came into the league as a pass catching tight end, and I developed. Uh, I learned how to block on the run while I was in the in the league, but especially with the Giants. And uh, you know, if you ever, as you know, Howard has those big meat hook hands of his. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, if you ever shake his hand, you're like, holy shit, uh, holy crap! Uh, this guy's hands are like huge, right? Um, and just, you know, blocking technique and, and things like that. And also, uh, you know, it was tough. It's like I used to, you know, when, when I was backing him up my rookie year, you know, and I'd see, you know, y'all, you're always watching and see, like, oh, well, he's hurting or, he, you know, his, his arm was bleeding this and the other. Like, hey, you, I got you, Howard. I got you, Howard. And he's like, nope, I got it. I'm fine. You know, that was the day when, uh, uh, you know, he, he, the tight end was on the field for every single snap. It wasn't situational. And, uh, you know, you made your money. Uh, by staying on the field as opposed to on the sideline with a clipboard and sunflower seeds and a baseball cap. So, Derek, I know, you know, throughout life you got to bounce around and, and move from city to city and things like that, but in 95 you get selected in the expansion draft to go to Jacksonville. One, what's that like? And two, um, you know, you're now dealing with different quarterbacks. Um, I know you had some, some tough times when you first started there, but what was that transition like knowing that you were going to a new team? Um, it's, for me, it was kind of refreshing a little bit. Um, you know, uh, 
I'd love playing in New York, but obviously, you know, my, I guess my skill set did not quite suit what was needed in New York at that particular time. Um, and my thought process, honestly, was going to an expansion team, you know, it was going to be, uh, you know, offense and team that's kind of thrown together over one year as opposed to having some veterans there and, and you know, very few pieces uh, to fill. Uh, it was like a total reboot, right, if you will. And, you know, my thought process was, okay, this is a new team. Uh, you know, offensive line's not going to be, can't be the best unit ever. Uh, so w- during that day, uh, I'm thinking I should be able to get a lot of balls because the tight end's going to be, uh, you know, shorter routes, so the quarterback's going to be under duress. I got. I think I'm going to have a, a big opportunity. And uh, lo and behold, in the one, in the one preseason game where I pretty much had a coming out party, where I had three receptions. I think they went to me in um, a total of like five or six times. I had a touchdown. I I get hurt. I, I take a hit and uh, literally just blew up my whole left side. It wasn't that big of a hit at first, but right place, right time, and uh, you know, put me on the sideline for a year. Wow. And I think it was the second year you were with Jacksonville that um, you guys went to the AFC Championship game under, yes. of course, head coach Tom Coughlin. What was it like, Derek, playing for Coach Coughlin? <laughs> it was uh, it was interesting. Let's put it that way. You know, I'm not going to lie. It was definitely very, very difficult. This was the old Coughlin, uh, right? <laughs> what's that? This was the old Coughlin, right? This was the old Coughlin. Don't don't let it don't let anybody fool you. Uh, the new Coughlin wasn't too too far from it though. But now you know um, it, he was definitely tough. I mean that the, you know that goes without saying. Um, but you know it 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 worked, uh, and we kind of caught lightning in the bottle. I remember at one point in the season we were three and six, and uh, we had a players only meeting, and we were like, listen, guys, young guys, you know, don't listen to how he's saying it. Just listen to what he's saying. And, you know, the bottom line is this. All the coaches can do is call plays. We're the ones out here who've got to, got to uh, execute them. So we're going to do anything. It's going to be up to us in this locker room. And uh, we turned things around. We went out and basically won seven games in a row. And uh, we were fortunate enough to, to get into the AFC Championship game and literally like three big plays away from getting to the Super Bowl. We were a, a block punt, a fumble, and an interception. Uh, away from uh, beating New England that first year. Uh, I think it was the like first year that they got into the playoffs and got uh, demolished by Green Bay. But, uh, you know, that could have uh, – we were that close. Hey, Derek, looking back, if you – I know sometimes it's the right time and the right situation. If you were to pick one team or one player that you could have played for – um, that you wanted to, or one team that maybe would have changed your career. Is there something that maybe you would have wanted to happen? Well, everything happens for a reason, and I, I definitely would not want, uh, you know, I would go back, I would want everything that happened to me to happen to me, all right, because it, 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 it put me to where I am, you know, uh, married the woman I married, I had the kids that I, that I had, so I absolutely would want that. But, you know, if you're asking me, uh, if I could go back, you know, uh, which I can't, um, situation-wise, team-wise, um, obviously I would think any of the West Coast offense-type teams, so teams like San Francisco or Green Bay, um, possibly Dallas, but I would say San Francisco or Green Bay back in those times only because uh, 
they were really the only two teams that the tight end was utilized, you know, tremendously. Possibly Pittsburgh, maybe. You know, when they had Eric Green, he caught a lot of balls. But um, I'd say the two, the, the top two uh, were San Francisco, Green Bay, uh, even New England with Ben Coates uh, were the ones. You know, back then, you know, and it, they weren't really using the tight end as much during that time. So it, it was pretty easy to figure out which teams. Yeah, let's talk about this year, um, this year's team, Derek. You know, uh, I don't know how closely you follow the Giants anymore, but clearly a lot of drama over the last couple months about the whole uh, Saquon contract and the franchise tag. What was your view on the way that that, that whole thing um, shook out from afar? Well, I tell you what, truthfully, I, you know, I don't follow it as close as I'd like to, time permitting, but, um, I did to some degree. Um, what I did, you know, what I found, what, what I thought about it is, I think it kind of stinks that, um, when you have a guy like Saquon and, you know, he's looking for that contract, which personally I feel that he definitely deserves being, he is very instrumental in Daniel Jones success, right? The Giants' success, what, what is their big thing? It's play action. You can't have play action if you're not able to run the ball. Now, yes, Saquon had some health issues the year before, but, hey, you know, it's between him and uh, Daniel Jones this last year, they put the team on his back, and uh, they did pretty doggone well in getting into the playoffs the first time in a while. So, you know, especially if you're responsible for, I think, if I'm not, maybe I'm mistaken, but if you're responsible for 30, 40% of the offense's, of the offense success, I'm sorry, you need to be paid as such. So, um, you know, last year the Giants bring in a new coach in, in Brian Dable and, um, you know, coming from Buffalo, coming down, kind of brings in a, a little bit of a new system. And, and you see success that maybe some people on the outside didn't. Um, is there anything that you saw from that team or maybe, like, what can a coach – that's like that really instill into a team, uh, you know, year one, year two? Well, I tell you what, I think what I saw um, as a former player, you know, I don't know if maybe many fans saw it, but regardless of whatever the X's and O's, I saw a team that bought into what the head coach was selling. I saw a team that threw their hat in the ring, and I think uh, he brought uh, energy and a fire into that locker room that ignited everybody on that team. Uh, I felt that that team wanted to win, not just for themselves, but they wanted to win for him. And that was, to me, that was the major difference. Uh, was a team that was, you know, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to say it, but like prior to him arriving, there was really no energy in that team. It was kind of, it was lackluster. Um, but, you know, like I said, take away from X's and O's. Just the feeling and the energy around that team, uh, I thought it was tremendous this past year. And, you know, it's funny, um, Derek, that you um, you play tight end for the Giants. Now this year the Giants have a new tight end, the guy from the Raiders, Darren Waller. Uh, what have you seen from him in his game, and, and how do you think he's going to help in terms of Daniel Jones's development? Oh, I think, you know, I, I, what I see in him, I, I see – a lot of what uh, Gronk was to Brady. Um, wow. I see him being uh, Daniel's, uh, you know, a security blanket. Um, you put some other people around him. Uh, I think he's capable of big things. Uh, another thing, 
you know, especially now with the, with the tight end position, uh, you get the right guy in there. Now you create a mismatch nightmare, and I believe that's what he is. Uh, he's, he's a mismatch nightmare, and I think this coaching staff that they have in place, uh, they definitely have the capability to help create some of those mismatches and game plan for such. And, now, oh, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. With uh, in in New York, you know, you got. Daniel Jones signing a four-year, $160 million contract. But on the same side of town, in the same building, actually, you've got Aaron Rodgers coming in. Um, Does either of those two things, the new contract or a celebrity in the same town, add or confuse the situation that Daniel Jones is in right now? No, not really, because, you know, you've got to be able to separate uh, you know all the, the crap that's outside of football, right? Outside of the the the, the side the lines, right? Outside of football, um, you know I don't I don't think so. Um, you know it is New York. And, you know they will always have their superstars. I mean hell, when when I was there, the Knicks were doing very well as well. Um, uh, you know where Ronnie Lott came into town, played for the Jets. Uh, they were you know pretty decent as well. So you know New York, it, we're used to it. Um, I, I don't think that creates a problem for him. Um, as long as he keeps his focus uh, on, on that football and game plan and, you know, control what he can control, his sport is football. He's a quarterback in the New York Giants, not uh, the Jets or anybody else. I wanted to ask you about some of the new weapons that the front office has brought in for the Giants this year. Uh, Crowder, Paris Campbell, even Cole Beasley. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the old um, Giants, you know, Denver East uh, was the Giants uh-huh. back in the 90s. Now they've become sort of Buffalo South in a way, you know. Um, sure. But I wanted to uh-huh. ask you about some of the we- new weapons they brought in and what roles uh, you think some of those guys might play. Well, you know what, I, I think uh, the roles that they're going to play is, I think it's going to be whatever is needed. I, I think with, with that, Devo, I forget his name, but anyways, well, with him being coming into here, he understands offense, right? He understands uh, this team, I think, and I think he is very well equipped to put whatever, wherever, whatever that mismatch is needed to win this win a game, I think that game plan wise, I think they're going to be set. You know, you get obviously, you know, here's what happens, right? In order to get into the playoffs, in order to win a Super Bowl, a couple things have to happen, right? You got to be, you got to be healthy going into it, right? And that's some stuff that you really can't necessarily control, right? And, you know, I hate to say it, but you got to be, you got to be a little bit lucky too. But I think they have, you know, I was actually, I was actually my, uh, my father-in-law had an 80th birthday party today and, uh, one of his, uh, longtime friends, uh, was there. He was a huge Giant fan. Uh, he was excited as well. And we were just talking about, um, uh, you know, about the moves and things that, that the Giants have, have, have been doing. And uh, I, I think what they have in place, what they have planned, uh, I think they're heading in the right direction. So I think with all the other weapons that they're bringing in, I love it because, you know, you got to be multi-dimensional, right? So you can't key on one person. Uh, you know, it's almost kind of like, uh, you know, look at Kansas City. Uh, when you have multiple weapons, it just it makes it easy, right? It's just like playing poker. It's easy to bet when you have ace-king and ace-ten and ten-ten, right, as opposed to, you know, ace-rank. So uh, I, I think I see and, and think and feel big things are in store for the Giants this year. 
And I think the last thing is, um, you know, I he's he's kind of created a good competition. And you know, what's as a player, what's uh, more valuable? Kind of knowing going in what your role is before preseason, or creating the or, creating the competition where maybe you can win a role. Um, a little bit of both. You know, I mean, when I was there, obviously. He, Everybody knew LT, you know, was going to be LT. There was no thing in that position, right? Uh, you know, Rodney Hampton had his spot as well. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think competition is always good, right? And, uh, you know, obviously when you have certain staples and certain people are making X amount of dollars, right, or the majority of the dollars, you kind of know, you know, as a player, you know who has a longer leash, than, than others do. However, what I like about him, if I even recall, you know, last year, if, you know, if, if, if DJ came to the sideline and kind of messed up or whatever, had a wrong read, uh, he got into his butt a little bit. And I kind of like to see that, you know, where it's like nobody is above reproach on this team. And, you know, there's a certain level of expectation across the board. And that's that's what I like about uh, that's what I like about him. That's what I like about this team. You know, I just want to ask you one more, Derek. You know, I don't want to put you in the position of being the uh, get off my lawn guy, but listen, I always like to hear this from ex-players. Um, you know how they think the game has changed. What? Let's compare just for a minute or two. 1993, 2023. What are the changes to the NFL game for the better that you can really appreciate, and what are the ones that you just can't live with? Well, I think the ones that I can uh, I can live with is just a better understanding of the head injuries and uh, the health overall, general health of the players. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> it's the the I don't know, you know, I am that guy, like, you know, the back of the day was, hey, separate the man from the ball, right? Uh, and some of those rules, I mean, hell, if you gave me, if you gave me five yards at 6'6", 270 pounds, running a 4'6", you know, I could be a Gronkowski too. You know, I feel like I was a little bit, <laughs> I was ahead of, ahead of my time. So, uh, you know, you look at that, obviously, you know, it, they sell more tickets, you get more, uh, the higher scoring, uh, you get bigger TV contracts. It's a business like anything else. So, you know, I get that. But at the same time, too, it's like you can't touch the quarterback. That part right there is like, you know, a little ridiculous. And some of the calls that they've had um, I thought were were ridiculous. But that being said, you know, it is a safety thing. So I I am all for that. Uh, there's a happy medium, but I think sometimes it goes a little too far in protecting uh, quarterbacks. Now, granted, I know they make all the big money, but, you know, they uh, the fact that you can't touch them, that's a whole other ballgame. Derek Brown, former Giant, great job. Thank you so much for coming on with us. It was a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I right, appreciate it, Derek. Talk to you soon. All righty. Bye-bye. All right, Chris, we got a few minutes before the break. Let's get into some Jets because I tell you, there's so much coming out of Jet Camp, you know, over these last couple of weeks, acquisitions. Um, obviously, Aaron Rodgers is the huge story. And then this week we had um, this stuff about 
um, Sean Payton sounding off about what a terrible head coach Nathaniel Hackett was. What was your uh, impression of that whole mess? You know, the worst part about it, I think, is Sean Payton then has to go back and be like, you know, I need to put a filter on myself. i got to watch what I say and then tell his players, hey, I know I've been telling you guys to watch what you say, and maybe I shouldn't have said that, but Sean Payton was saying things about the previous head coach where he was. And you got to think about that. Some of those guys were in the room last year, and he was saying this guy did a bad job and the players weren't there. So, number one, I think Sean Payton outspoke way too much. And don't sit there and say, I was in my Fox chair where I thought I was back in the studio. Because he did nothing for Fox. He just stood there and did nothing. His daughter actually even works for some of these gambling companies. So, like, you know he's 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 got himself hooked on that stuff. But the one thing I will say is Aaron Rodgers made sure to step up and back up Hackett right away and basically say that these messages are not are strong words and, and, and keep my coach out of this. Yeah, you know, and I thought it was not just a little bit low rent on the part of Sean Payton. It's also strategically, Chris, when you think about it, I don't think it's really a good play because obviously what he's trying to do, he's trying to build Russell Wilson back up after a terrible year, right? So if Russell Wilson has another terrible year, what's your excuse this time? Are you either a terrible coach, Sean Payton, or is Russ... Is Russ just not able to play anymore? Yeah, and he's trying to keep Russell Wilson's uh, own coach out of the building. Things are going to change now. If you're going to change the culture, you need to change your wins and losses. you got to change production there. And I think it might backfire on him very quickly. And if he's not successful early on, you know, the players are, are going to backfire on him. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, obviously Aaron Rodgers, even at 38 or 39, whatever he is, he's going to be Aaron Rodgers. Yep. And he's got some great weapons around him, Chris. I thought um, the the move to get Hardman in here um, was was really terrific. I think he's going to help a lot. Um Corey Davis, I mean, Lazard, Cobb, obviously Garrett Wilson. You know, they got a great receiving core. I think their running game is fine, but the one area that does still concern me a little bit is that offensive line. Their defense is terrific, but that offensive line, especially, again, I don't want to pick on this guy because I know everybody's all over him, but when you're counting on Becton to be a main cog in that offensive line, I don't know what's going on with him, Chris. What do you think? Yeah, I think always the uh, the line is what you're worried about. With an older quarterback, you want to make sure that you can protect him because otherwise he's got to get rid of the ball to some of these guys, you know, like Randall Cobb, who um, has been around for a while. So I think for the Jets, it's going to be remaining healthy. And um, I think a lot of people are really high on the Jets right now. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, Years you come in and you're like, we got to beat the Patriots because the Patriots were, were number one. Now, eventually the Patriots fall off when Tom Brady leaves. But, you know, people say, oh, we got to come in and beat this team. And no matter what sport you're talking about, the top of the line has the, has the top players. I'm just not as, as set as I think other people are that just because Aaron Rodgers comes into town, that all of a sudden the Jets are, are the, the favorite in that conference. I think it's going to take some time. I think he's got to stay healthy. And, you know, there's always been that aura around the Jets that things are going to go wrong. And uh, I think one injury could set this team back. Do you think that Salah is now in the place as a head coach where some, you know, external – 
potential distraction like a hard knocks could have an impact on this training camp that lingers into the season? I think the Jets have been prepared for this, so I think they knew that they were going to have hard knocks at some point just because of the way things were flowing. Um, I think this was going to be a tough year for him as a head coach no matter what because of some of the things at the end of the year that kind of came in. But um, I hope that he relies on some of the assistant coaches around him and maybe some of the veteran players to make sure that hard knocks does not become a major distraction. They're going to be the hot sauce. Like, people are going to be talking about this for three or four weeks. But I think if they can get through training camp with no major injuries, maybe a couple of guys step up and show themselves on hard knocks, that they could go on a little run early. And the thing is, for the Jets, they cannot go, ah, three and two the first two weeks. they got to start out hot and just start taking teams down and letting people know, you know, that they're in business. But I got to tell you, I really, to this point, for a Giant fan, I really do like Salah. I, I think he's yeah. a classy guy. I like the way he reacted um, to the Peyton comments. He wasn't going to get down and get in the sewer with Peyton. He feels like he's got his finger on the pulse of this team. He feels like he's grown into the job. Uh, he comes off very calm and, and mature, and I think that this team um, kind of needs that type of guiding hand. Yeah, and uh, I don't know what you think the other thing is, but it seems like Dalvin Cook has been showing up to training yeah, camp. Yeah. And I think that would be a great addition to, to plug a guy in there that maybe costs a couple of million less than what Saquon is getting but has some some definite you know experience with the Vikings. Um, I think that would be great for them. And to add some veteran leadership would just be great. So I think Sal has done a pretty good job, but everybody looks at wins and losses. So we'll see where they are maybe halfway through the year. We're going to come back with some Yankee and some Met. Talk in just a couple minutes. We want your phone calls tonight, folks. 516-623-1240. The number to give us a buzz. Much, much more when Sports Talk New York with the spot on sports, guys, comes back after the break. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Sports Talk New York right here on 1240 AM WGBB with the spot on sports guys, the Trez Man, Mike Treza, Cap, Chris Caputo, sitting in for the coach, Mike Gadone. We're with you until 9 and now. It is time to talk some baseball. I'm not really quite sure about this, Chris, but I think we've had some baseball news over the last couple of days. I think as we're getting closer to that August 1st uh, date, a couple of things that are happening and probably more going to happen. So let's start with your Mets, obviously. We're going to start with the small one first, and then we'll build to the big one. Um, you were on the show with Mike and me a couple of weeks ago, obviously predicted um, Robertson was going to be traded, not a big 
Um, not going out on the limb there, of course, but um, the one that you might not have seen um, coming, and a lot of fans in New York, Met or non-Met fans, might not have seen coming, is over the last day or two we've gotten news of the trade of Max Scherzer to the Rangers, where, by the way, We'll get into this aspect of it. He'll be reunited with uh, with Jake DeGrom. Um, so, seriously, Chris, nobody follows the Mets uh, more closely than you or has his finger on the pulse more than you do. What was your initial reaction to the Scherzer uh, trade? Surprised? Um, not surprised? Disappointed? Angry? I think the Mets were probably looking to try to place Max Scherzer somewhere. Um, I just felt like if they didn't get a great deal, they weren't going to go for it until Max stood up and basically said, why are we trading our closer at this particular time in the division, in the division, but I forget the division. Everybody's fighting for the wild card. The Braves have the division. They're 30 games over 500, but you could be trading them to a team in the NL West that you're fighting like the San Francisco giants. Um, and at that point, I think he was saying, oh, we're waving the white flag four or five days before August 1st. So when he finishes his outing where the Mets win, he goes down and says, what's going on here to the media? And then goes to the front office and says, you know what? What's the direction we're going? And if, if this isn't it, then I want out. And I think that was their final straw of saying, you got it. Like, we're going to find something. The only problem is I think at that point it had gotten out there that Max wanted out. And the Mets maybe could have gotten two guys for him, um, but instead they, I, you know, I believe they only ate partial of the money that uh, Texas is going to pay him. Um, I think there probably were some some standoffs after that worked, but I think he went in there that night on Friday night and said, "I'll waive my my no trade if you're going to send me somewhere." I think the Mets got something good for it because, as Steve Cohen says. The money that's already out there, he's already spent. He doesn't think about it. But the Mets were uh, due to pay him, you know, this year, plus, you know, he was going to have an option for next year, which he probably was going to take on. So they're going to have to pay him, you know, tens of millions of dollars to play for Texas. Um, But they got what they consider a pretty good prospect. I think the figure I heard uh, yesterday was 32 mil or 33 mil. Yeah, so probably somewhere around 60 million. The Mets are going to pick up 36, give or take, um, over the next two years. But he had to make sure that he opted in. But then you also have to remember when he goes down to Texas, there's no tax on his salary. So he's actually making more money going down to Texas. But this is a guy that's bounced around. He played for Washington. He went to L.A. He's been in Detroit. He's been in New York. To go to Texas, you know, I mean, for whatever reason, his wife's okay with it, taking the kids, picking them up, bouncing around for another two years until he turns 40 years old. And then he decides where he wants to live. He's got a place in Florida. So, um, you know, now his place in, on Long Island will be up for sale. But as a Met fan, I mean, are you okay with him going to the front office after um, they decide to deal Robertson, which, again, we all pretty much saw coming, and saying, listen, if you're going to trade the guy who's our de facto closer at the moment, I want out of here. Do you have a problem with that? Here's the thing. His numbers were pretty good with the Mets. People want to downplay it. I think he had 42 starts, went 20 and 9 with a pretty low. What's ERA. his numbers this year, Chris? Uh, I think Give it was, it to me. I think he was 9 and 9 and 3, 10 and 3. I'll look that up. But, um, 
you know, ten and three this year. Uh, I believe so. Um, I'd but, be surprised. I, you know, the thing is, I do have a little bit of a problem with it, but I think the Mets handled it well, and before it became an issue, just got rid of it. You know, um, you know, as as soon as he went and said, "I want out," they let him out because I think if you were to hold on to that, it's just going to become that much more of a problem. Yeah, you know, I is listen, not a Met fan, but if I were, I think I would be, I think I would have a problem with that. And if I were Met front office or Met ownership, I might have a problem with this too. I might say, hey, you know what, Max? Not for anything, but I paid you forty three million bucks for this year. That's it. And, and, and I mean, um, you spent the beginning part of the season complaining about pitch clock. You got yourself suspended for sticky stuff. Then you got hurt, and then you were one start up, one start down. Yes. You know what? You want out? Okay, you got it. Let's start by getting you out of my office. Security, get this guy out of here. Yeah, I think you're right. And by the way, he was 9-4 and four with a 4 ERA uh, this All year. All right, that's good. It's not great. It's not $43 million. But the reason why the Mets are not where they are and why David Robertson is on the trade block is because guys like Max Scherzer did not do what they were supposed to do. Exactly. So I think you got a lot of chutzpah coming into my office and asking me to trade you because I traded the guy who's really our replacement closer. Yep. I mean, one of the reasons we are where we are if you want me to be honest with you, Max, is because you didn't do what you were supposed to. And at this point, he's been around for a year and a half. Why did the Mets pay him $86 million? Did they pay him $86 million so they could win 101 games? Or did they pay him $86 million so that when they got to September and October last year, he'd be the big guy? And they paid him for the big spot. And what did he do? He went down to Atlanta and he just dropped everything on the field, and they fell apart. He played against San Diego, and he got shelled, and they lost big time. So what they paid him for, he didn't give it to them. Now, the next step is what happens with Justin Verlander, because his contract is different. He's guaranteed next year. He's guaranteed a possible option the year after that. Pitch is a gem today, okay? pitching really well. He's been great for Orlando. I have no issue. For the last, since he's come back, you know, and been in, you know, get rid of that spring training type feel, he's been really good. But I think that if he goes in there and asks, hey, listen, where are we? Are we in rebuilding mode next year or are we in win mode? And if the Mets can't convince him that they are in total win mode, I think he says, explore what the Astros have given me, and maybe I'll go back there. I think he wants to be in New York, but he wants to know from the Mets that next year is not a rebuilding year. All right, so before we get to where the Mets go from here, you know, I thought it was interesting last night. Yankee game ended early, went over to the Met game, stayed with it at the end because I wanted to, obviously I wanted to hear more on the Scherzer trade, and I stayed with the clubhouse stuff. And, you know, it was funny because Pete, is Pete, and, you know, he kind of seemed a little shaken, maybe a little bit caught off guard, but Lindor, for his part, went out of his way to throw roses at Pete, uh, at, at Scherzer about what a great teammate he was. And I'm saying to myself, well, wait a minute, this is the guy who the first time there's a hint of trouble, he goes to the front office and says, Get me out of here? That's a great teammate. Not to me, it's not, Chris. Yeah, that's tough. And I think, um, you know, when some of these guys are being asked, hey, what do you think of Billy Epler? I think their answer is, well, 
only time will tell. You know, we're going to have to wait and see. And um, I, I really don't know what the Mets are going to do in the next two days. I th- can just tell you this. If a guy like Robertson's going, who's a free agent at the end of the year, $10 million, probably only owed $3.5 million, it's not that big of a deal. You're not going to get anything huge back in return for that. A guy like Tommy Pham, Mark Connor, those guys go. You're going to get a, two midline prospects. But maybe the Mets in the past couple of days have picked up four prospects that, or maybe three prospects that are in the top 100 in baseball, which is pretty good. But to make a big splash, they would really have to blow this up and get rid of the starting pitching. And I think at that point, now you're going, okay, where is this team next year? And is that a direction that you think they should go in? And is that a direction that you as a, as an ardent Met fan, uh, would be comfortable with? You know, I'm not really sure because at this point, I'm done with Cookie Carrasco. I just yeah. can't, I can't, I can't watch this anymore. But I'm actually okay with some of the other starters. I, I think even Quintana might be on the, the trade block just because he's come back. He's a lefty and he's proven that he could throw six innings right away. Um, Quintana pitched a good game against And I could see them getting rid of him and getting something back in return, another lefty. Uh, the second thing is, I think I'm okay with, you know, obviously Kodai Senga and bringing back some of the other arms that the Mets have. So I don't think it's a total rebuild, but people are like, who's going to pitch? Who's going to pitch? Who's going to pitch? I think that's where the money in the offseason goes into getting yourself another starting pitcher. What's been the hardest thing for the Mets this year is their bullpen has not been able to deal with the fact that Edwin Diaz went down, and then their offense just has not been good enough. And I think the biggest thing is, if you're not getting rid of any major guys, what are you doing next year? Because here's the thing. I think the Mets are pretty much bringing back the same eight fielders, except for left field and right field. Starling Marte, Marcano. But the rest are going to be the same. Nimmo, Alvarez, Beatty, Lindor, uh, McNeil, Alonzo. You've got the same guys on the field. What's to say that next year their offense doesn't pull the same thing? The Mets are not better unless they go out and get more players. Just for a minute or two, I want to turn the conversation Met-related in this direction. And this is for my buddy Ray, who busts my chops all the time that we don't talk enough Otani. Ray, we're going to talk some Otani right now. Are you ready? So obviously, Chris, the um, the news came out this week. They're not trading Otani. He's going to finish the season with the Angels. Um, you know, they're trying to get Trout back and trying to make a run. I, honestly, they're only a game behind the Yankees in the wild card. So um, do you think, as it pertains to Otani and the Mets, part of the rationale for getting Scherzer and his big salary out of here, and maybe even... I mean, you say no, but maybe even the possibility of getting Verlander and his big salary out of here is to sign Otani in the offseason and really really address two lingering problems for the Mets. I think the Mets would love to go after Shohei Otani. I think by the Angels not treating him and going for it and maybe trying to bring a couple of guys in the next couple of uh, days that maybe they're trying to prove to him, hey, listen, we're trying to win here. However, the Mets are going to get a new president of baseball operations. But the strange thing is the guy who signed Shohei Otani is Epler. So if they have any chip in this, they got to use him to try to bring him in. 
I do not think that any of this stuff has anything to do with signing Shohei Otani. I don't think Otani comes to the East Coast. I don't think he comes to the Mets. But if he came to the Mets, it has nothing to do with the 40-something million dollars owed to Verlander. Whatever happened with Scherzer, he was gone anyway. He didn't have to be on their books next year. The Mets, I believe, have a guaranteed $178 million already committed for next year, and that's, you know, not including some of the, the option values. If you put that in, they're still up, you know, in that. Otani wants $600 million, $60 million a year. Whoever takes that on is really not worried about who's on their roster right now. It's just the fact that you have a player that's going to be spectacular in two parts of their games. The Mets want him. I just don't think that any move they make is going to bring him here. All right, I want to go back to the Yankee-Mets series, which was this past week. Now seems like a month ago, of course, with everything that's happened since. But uh, Mets win the first game 9-3, to a little bit of a lopsided affair. That one got away from the Yankees early. Uh, Herman got slapped around the ballpark. Um, Verlander had a really good outing against us, and we didn't hit Verlander when he was with Detroit. We sure as hell didn't hit him when he was with Houston, and we haven't hit him with the Mets. So, um, in that game, two Met players get hit with pitches. Yeah. Now, I heard in the day or two following that, Chris, a lot of disappointment uh, expressed on the part of Met fans and even guys in the media that the Mets didn't retaliate at the end of that game when they were up 9-3. to three. Now, it's 9-3. to three, It's the ninth inning. You, you hit a guy, you put him on first. Who cares? I mean, he's, you know, he's not going to score, and if he does, it's not going to hurt you. What was your uh, takeaway in terms of that whole uh, situation? It's been two years, and the only guy I've really seen throw at somebody was, you know, a guy who's no longer even on a, the, the roster for, for the Mets. He got ejected from a game. He was a nobody that people hadn't heard of. And, you know, Pete Alonso had gotten hit, so he went after the guy. Or Pete Alonso got tackled by the, the, the first base coach of another team. And that was it. Otherwise, nobody has backed the Mets when they've been hit the most out of anybody. And Do now, you see that as an issue or a problem? I will say this. The Mets have hit over 50 guys this year themselves. But okay. none of them have been intentional to say, hey, listen, our guys are getting hit. Why aren't we hitting yours? And I think you're right. I think um, it comes from Buck. Buck is upset and Buck gets mad, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't bring that old school out to and say, "Hey, listen, you know, you're a, you're a nobody for us. We need you to go out there and just drill somebody." Drew Smith, you've already been suspended and you stink anyway. Just go hit somebody and get thrown in the locker room, and we don't care. And I do see it as a problem. I think the Mets need to step up and do something. You know, Jeff McNeil was laying on the floor, staring around like, what the heck just happened? No that was the Wednesday game. That yeah. was the 3-1 to one game. So, obviously, you're not going to retaliate there. In a close game, it's a little bit more difficult to do, you know? But I think the Mets are hurting so much in so many different ways that that's, unfortunately, the last thing I think about. I will say this to end this thing about the Mets. I believe that this year has been a totally different year clubhouse-wise. I don't think Verlander and Scherzer liked each other. I don't think that... Um, you know, people like Alonzo. I think that they're, they're, a lot of the guys are down on him in a locker room. I think Lindor tries to say the right thing, but this is not a cohesive group. Yeah, Vogelback likes Alonzo and, you know, Jeff McNeil and, and Lindor don't get along. He hasn't gotten his car from Lindor that he said he was supposed to get for winning the batting champ. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of different personalities and I don't think that this team gelled from day one and it showed. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I 
Couldn't agree with you more about some of that stuff. So um, 516-623-1240. We've got about 12 minutes left. We'll take your phone call on Yanks, Mets, anything you want, trade deadline, Giants, Jets. Uh, those are the big stories. So let's talk some Yanks right now, uh, Chris. Yeah, let's get those phone calls, guys. We want to hear what you're saying. <laughs> um, so let's talk Yanks for a minute or two. Um yeah, I tell you, Friday night was such a letdown. I mean, you know, all this buildup about Judge coming back, all this buildup about Cole on the mound down in Baltimore against the now first place Orioles. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that? And of course, you get a two and a half hour rain delay. I stay up for that game. Um, it's about twelve fifteen in the morning. I said, "Hey, you know what? If this goes extras, I'm shutting it off because I could tell they're going to lose, and then I'm going to be disgusted and not be able to sleep till three o'clock in the morning." Yeah. And it's even worse when it's a walk off. Ah, no, it was terrible. So I, I did stay for the ninth. I saw that walk out, walk off, and I said, "You know what? A terrible waste." I mean, Cole, for whatever else anybody else, including me, has said about him. Has been phenomenal this year, Chris. I absolutely. mean, they w- they wasted an absolutely terrific outing by him. Yeah, and, and that's tough because um, a lot of people were looking forward to the judge coming back. And hey, they haven't played well, but they've tread water and stayed within two, three games. So you know, that's when the Yankees are going to pick it up. And you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what your feel is, but I just don't think that the switch is going to be turned over two months just because. You know, that one player comes back and he's playing at whatever percent he's healthy at. But you know what's funny is that last night, the total polar opposite. You get a home run early from Stanton, okay? You get a home run early from Judge. And then they have this inning, Chris, in the sixth inning, all right? Here's the inning. You ready for this? Higashi Okasolo homer. Three singles in a row from Judge, Stanton. Stanton's was almost a double play. And then Rizzo. And then IKF clears the bases with a double. You want to know when's the last time that happened for the Yankees, an inning like that? I have it right down on my sheet. Here's what it says. Not often enough. <laughs> That's the tough part is is that you get it in little bunches, but you're waiting for the Yankees to have it consistently. And, you know, at some point you have to make a decision. Now, what happens with them in the next couple of days? Do they go out there and try and get somebody? Uh, I think their bullpen is actually pretty good, and people are talking about trying to bolster that. I wouldn't give up guys on the field to get bullpen guys. I would give up guys on the field to get maybe another arm that's going to help you in the playoffs or somebody in the outfield that's going to help you. Well, they've got a glut at starting pitcher as soon as um, Nestor comes back. They're going to have to decide. And really, here's the move to me. Here's the move. All money aside, Severino, you're in the bullpen. You stunk. <laughs> like... Seven out of your last nine outings, you've stunk, yep. and you stunk it up again tonight. And you know what they're going to do instead, Chris? They're going to put, they're going to take Schmidt, who's really been good lately, and they're going to stick him in the bullpen. Yep. It should either be Herman, perfect game aside, I know. or that hasn't been good, or um, Severino yeah. when Nesta comes back. So listen, I agree with you. I wouldn't get rid of guys on the field to get another bullpen arm. Here's the problem: is that some of these guys in the bullpen. A worn out. Yeah. Marinaccio, the last couple outings, looks absolutely shot to me. Canely's been bad three, four oh, roundings He was in a awesome row. to begin with, and now I know. he's fallen off. And, and so I might get another bullpen arm. I really, I have to get another outfielder in here. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of talk about Bellinger early in the season. I think that cooled off when the Cubs, um, you know, 
I guess kind of got back in the race a little bit, right? Um, but I gotta get, I, I, I gotta tell you, Chris, I cannot see Bowers and Billy McKinney in the outfield anymore. I mean, you watch the Yankee Met series. Yep. Those guys were awful. They yeah. could not catch a pop up. I can't look at it anymore. Get a bona fide, um, outfielder with a stick that can actually play a corner outfield spot. Get, um, Stanton back to DH. Let Judge DH once in a while to lighten his load. Bader's fine in center field, but get another corner outfielder, please. Right. And I think they're trying to play Peraza a little bit more. Would you be willing to trade Glaber Torres? I probably would. I probably would. And, and you know what? I'm probably going to get skewered by Yankee fans for saying that. But, I mean, if you trade Glaber right now, you, you're trading high. You know what I mean? Because he's actually had a good season. Right. When, um, Judge went out and Rizzo stopped hitting and DJ stopped hitting and Stanton stopped hitting. All the big guys that were supposed to be the big guys in your lineup stopped hitting. Torres was the only guy still hitting. So if you sell on Torres now, you're going to sell high on Torres. But the only question then becomes, are you going to bring Peraza back up? And are you comfortable with Peraza at second and Volpe at short or vice versa? Yeah, I think that's what the sticking point is, is, you know, you're going to have to ride that out for the rest of the year. And if you're getting rid of Torres, you're not probably getting an outfielder back. You're probably getting a couple of prospects for future years and maybe another pitcher here or there. I know the Marlins want uh, want him. But, um, you know, I just think as the Yankees, how much do you go for it if you're within three, four games of a wild card spot in the next couple of days? Are you, well, that's, where, that's are exactly you, where they're going to be there. Are right? you buyers or do you just kind of say, like, Aaron Judge is our trade deadline pickup. No, no, you can't say that because the thing is, is if you were going to do that, um, it, unless you were going to be aggressive and go all in to make the playoffs this season, here's what I w- would rather have done, Chris. I would rather have said to Judge, hey, you know what, Judge? Go get the toe surgery now. Be locked and loaded come January 15th or February 1st or whatever the date is for next spring training and be ready to go but once judge came back and you sent a very clear signal to the fans that hey listen we're going for it this year even if judges compromise we have enough here we're going to get Nestor back um hopefully we'll get a few more good outings uh, down the stretch out of Rodon he can be that that sort of number two to Cole and um now at the trading deadline whatever happens over the next day or two they have to go out and bolster that outfield and maybe even the bullpen. Yeah, but I think at that point you might have to be willing to give up some prospects in order to get, like last year they they were able to go Montgomery for Bader. Okay, fine. But I think this year you might have to dig down and be able to say, hey, we're going to give up one of our big prospects. Montgomery, by the way, just got traded to Texas. Did you see that today? Did see that. So. <laughs> You know, he, DeGrom, Montgomery, and Scherzer. He, he served his purpose last year by beating the Yankees when he was there. But now he goes to another uh, another contender. I mean, and, and just think about this. Max Scherzer actually really replaced Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, so. yeah. And, I mean, yeah, that love affair is going to resume uh, next year. You know, I mean, I think there was I don't some think jealousy there. I don't think there. DeGrom's pitching next year. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be out for well over. Really? Year. Yeah. I think he's. Wow. I think he's gonna miss almost all of next year. Wow. You got to remember, this is the second time around for him. 
And I think they're going to be very careful with that contract. I mean, I, if they could do the trade back, I mean, the signing back over again, they'd give him back to us. Yeah. Yeah. So we got about um, two minutes left. If you are the Yankees, what do you think about putting together a package for Soto? And what do you think, Chris, would it would take to get Soto here? I think the Padres are in a spot kind of similar to the Mets, where it's like, how far can you really go? Is you know, how hot can you really get? Um, I mean. I guess that's probably the guy you would have to go after. Probably going to have to give up four major prospects, though, in order to get him. I don't think it's an Otani-type deal, but I think you have to go with it. Now, would I do it? And Soto was signed for next year. Yes. Okay. Uh, Would I do it if I was the Yankees? Um, If you feel like he's going to stay with you for a long time, I mean, with that porch there, probably so. But, um, you know, think about this. Last year, he, he was like the hottest thing. When he was going to go to five different places and finally he wound up with San Diego. Oh, he was going to get like, you know, $100 million a year. I mean, you know. But he's really kind of tamed down, you know, and he's not the hottest guy. So this is a guy that you have to say is going to be here for a long time, and I don't know if the Yankees want to give that up. I think they'd probably go a little bit more of a 30-, 32-year-old guy just to plug the hole for a year. All right, so that's going to do it, folks, from here at Sports Talk New York with the Spot on Sports guys, Caputo and Treza with you tonight. Mike Adome back with us in a couple weeks. We want to thank Derek Brown, former Giant, for coming on with us. Terrific job out out of Derek. And we want to thank Brian Graves, another terrific job out of him on the board for everybody here at Sports Talk New York, including my partner, Cap, Chris Caputo. This is Mike Trezor thanking you for listening. We'll see you in two weeks on Sports Talk New York. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.